Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Podcast Horseman. Back in the 20s, we reviewed a very famous team. Welcome indeed to Podcast Horseman, the Bojack Horseman podcast, a spoiler-free episode-by-episode audio review podcast of the critically acclaimed Netflix series, Bojack Horseman. I'm a socially distanced Michael Hamflet. And I'm a socially distanced Adam Nicholas, and it doesn't matter if it's season one, Michael, season two, season three, or indeed where we are right now, season four, yes. doesn't matter when it is, you can call us the front of the place, because we are all business to begin with you can follow this podcast on twitter or instagram at podcast horseman if you're a, if you're a new listener welcome to the podcast mm. join us join us come and sign <laughs> up and subscribe and like and follow and share all those great things on social media and if you like the sound of your hosts you can also find them on twitter too you can find me at it's adam nicholas or you can find michael hamplet at Michael Hamflit. Indeed, join us on this podcast journey. We're only at season four. Start from the beginning all over again, even if you've listened once before. Do so on Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe. On Acast, where you can subscribe as well. On Spotify, where you can follow. On Amazon Music and pretty much everywhere else you get your podcasts. And if you would like to be entered on our Hollywood Talk of Fame, where you get your very own star with your name, with Bojack looking down upon it, feel free to leave us a five-star review. Um, as long as you put a little bit of text in the box, could be nasty, could be nice, we don't really mind. Five stars, all that good stuff. It gets us up in the charts, it gets us up in the algorithms, it gets more people seeing the podcast, it gets more people talking themselves horse about a talking horse. And after four seasons, why would you not want to do that at this point? If you've got a sore throat, and it's not for other reasons other than talking about Bojack Horseman, you're having a pretty good 2020 so why not get involved leave us that review and just like somebody did at the end of this episode we will be inducting our latest member into the hollywood talk of fame that coming after the episode review how very exciting four seasons in and people are still excited to get the stars <laughs> on the hollywood talk of fame allegedly still excited. i don't know I'm, I'm not with you you might just be all being pretend nice on the internet who knows we're but very I, grateful they want them we're very grateful keep we are very use. grateful i'm very grateful indeed and i promise you i will make them soon <laughs> you have all the ones from season three to catch up on which will be going up very very soon of course as michael said those were all based on the twitter retweets last time please do continue to do that it's great for the show but also we are back to the usual write reviews and get your names shouted out, Michael. How very exciting. Anyway, speaking of very exciting, let's begin, shall we? Season four. Let's go to Netflix for our synopsis, as we always do. And by the way, I know I said if you're brand new here, then welcome to the show. But also, to everybody who's stayed with us so far, 
Welcome back, and thank you yeah. for sticking with us for four, so well, three seasons, and let's hope the fourth is just as good. Season four, episode one, as told by Netflix, see Mr. Peanut Butter run. Mr. Peanut Butter's campaign to recall the governor of California culminates in a high-stakes ski race. Meanwhile, Bojack is nowhere to be found. Michael, is this show just called Blank? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh... I feel like for the longest time we've been doing these reviews in our own houses, whereas this week we find ourselves more in peanut butters than anybody else. Back in the noughties, uh, we reviewed a very famous TV show, but in the 90s, Mr. Peanut Butter was in one. Uh, it is 1992, and we're on the set of a as-yet-untitled Vincent D'Onofrio sitcom vehicle. Vincent walks down a staircase to speak to Zoe and Zelda. Uh, it's still, it, it's awkward. The live studio audience doesn't laugh at his jokes or, for that matter, his breakdancing or his attempt to set anything up as a catchphrase that could sweep the nation. Uh, they cut. The show's not going very well. And off to the side of the set while they cut, Mr. Peanut Butter back doors, literally in the back door, rowing with his former wife, Katrina, that uh, if he hadn't done that before, he, quote, wouldn't have co-piloted the plane that brought him to Los Angeles in the first place. He thought the red light outside meant he should, quote, stop and see what he's doing and come inside. So he's not been at all bothered by the fact that there is actually a television recording going on right now. Uh, he offers a load of daft opinions about sitcoms to the stage manager who's just trying to do a job and get him off to one side and get the comedy rolling again. Uh, but the audience go absolutely mad for it. Um, meanwhile, off to one side, Vincent D'Onofrio is rowing with the director. He says, quote, you don't want an actor. You just want a blank canvas upon which to project your own notions of goodness. All the while, Mr. Peanut Butter clowns for the crowd as seen on the monitors behind Vincent D'Onofrio, given off indeed those mawkish visions of goodness. Uh, <laughs> Vincent D'Onofrio sort of rounds out his giant rant with quote this man doesn't exist this D'Onofrio has had enough Rio and now we know why it was indeed Vincent D'Onofrio <laughs> um, in the meantime uh, in a sort of a lovely sitcomception meta gag Mr Peanut Butter's continuing laugh a second routine to the sitcom audience crowd has moved on to him talking about how his favourite scenes are always when somebody in the sitcom has no idea what's going on behind him, has no idea that somebody's trying to get attention, that he keeps cutting the person off. Um, he effectively provides the director's commentary to him getting the job on Mr Peanut Butter's house. The crowd are in hysterics as once Mr Peanut Butter is given the news, he replies with, Doggy, doggy, what now? Giving us, obviously, the catchphrase that would pop a nation for about a season or two. As director, who was revealed to be David Chase, asks him him to be the star of, quote, untitled horsing around knockoff. Mr. Peanut Butter says he has no skills, but David Chase says he doesn't need them. He's got it. What a way to hit the credits for this season. Absolutely magical. Now, look, I realise if you are just here for the first time, a podcast that promises you to talk about Bojack Horseman, and then we get no Jack Horseman is a good start. When you turn up, you've got Mr. Peanut Butter running the show in the middle of, what year was it, 19? Was it 1992 we have at this point. Brilliant stuff. I mean, really, really good stuff, this. Mr. Peanut Butter turned up to 11. And how great is it as well that for the character who we've been shown at this point is literally just... He's all Mr. Positivity, isn't he? And he manages to turn even the glass that looks like the most half empty into half full. I just love that. Did you not stop when you saw the stop sign? He's like, I did. <laughs> stop and come and see what's going on. Another opportunity presents itself. Lovely stuff. And just, I'm going to chuck this one in here. Well, a freebie, if you will, because Vincent D'Onofrio, amazing. Absolutely amazing in this. 
And him made me think of you immediately when he said, I'm too red to be a dad. <laughs> <laughs> that is, and you know, my kids pop as much as Zoe and Zelda did for that line as well. It never goes over that one. <laughs> um, from there, which is obviously, you know, a, a nice little flashback to just a little bit more of a backstory of Mr. Peanut that we already know. Um, we are back into present day as the episode starts proper. Diane is leaving a voicemail with Bojack uh, as she hasn't heard from him in three months. That sets up a device for a bit of exposition of where we're at from the end of season three, of course, where Bojack set off into the distance, perhaps never to be seen again. Um, it's basically Diane explaining that now, uh, following Mr. Peanutbutter's interaction with his ex-wife Katrina at the very end of season three, he is indeed trying to become the governor of California. Um, there is a PB for Gov banner in the background of their house, which has become the campaign office. Um, they're explaining that, first of all, it's about trying to get the existing governor, uh, Woodchuck, Kudchuk Berkowitz, recalled. Uh, they need a certain amount of signatures to do that. And because she doesn't believe they're going to get the amount of signatures, she is entirely supportive. Uh, Christina is managing his campaign. Todd is sort of buzzing around and there to help. And Diane is fine with her ex, his ex-wife being there because ultimately Lisa makes her look a little bit more chilled out by comparison. She couldn't make it clearer that she's not really on board with this but is so certain it's going to fail that it's given her nothing to worry about. Um, from there, we go from Mr. Peanut Butter meeting with Princess Carolyn to get her signature. She signs, but she feels a bit ill to have them around, so she sort of shoes them downstairs. She notices there's other people buzzing around the management office that can uh, sign for them. Um, Judah agrees to sign. He appears and notes that he never developed a signature as he finds them unnecessarily ostentatious. God damn it, I love Judah. But he will print <laughs> his name legibly. More people should be like him. Um <laughs> Judah, in the meantime, uh, brings Princess Carolyn a card from Ralph that says, I always make a beeline to see my feline. Um, and they discuss casting for this year's American Dead Girl special on FX. Uh, oh, it's something that Princess Carolyn immediately wants to sink her claws into, but it turns out that it's the Sarah Lynn story and they need a Bojack. At the very mention of Bojack's name, Princess Carolyn vomits violently into a bucket. Uh, and then every time Judah tries to continue saying Bojack, Bojack Horseman, Bojack Horseman. It just triggers more and more vomiting into the bin. Instant sick upon the mention of that man's name. Again, where is he? We don't know, but people are still being triggered into vomiting. Um, we are back I know the to... feeling. I know the feeling. <laughs> <laughs> we are back um, flying across uh, Hollywood to Todd and Emily uh, in the same diner where, of course, Todd tipped the waitress $8 million and lost his fortune. And he's just wistfully wondering what he would do if he had $8 million. Uh, <laughs> he says... He'd, uh, he'd develop drones with seats and call them drone thrones. Uh, it's noted at that point that it wouldn't really technically be a proper drone because it's got a seat in it, but Todd doesn't want to deal with the details. Um, Emily talks about setting up an app um, so she can basically just set date firemen. She wants to like sort of game the dating market to her own benefit. But then when Todd casually says that it's all right, she doesn't need a dating app, she can just hang out with him. She says that she wants a boyfriend who isn't asexual. Uh, this plays, of course, the last time we saw these two in the, in the diner, where there wasn't really a label put upon Todd, but Todd kind of suggested he didn't know if he was straight, he didn't think he was gay, he didn't really know what he was, and this is kind of Emily trying to decide it for him. He doesn't feel, feel particularly comfortable with that, he doesn't particularly like that label, but the conversation is broken up by the waitress Todd tipped at the end of season three. She's covered in jewels, and she says, this cow likes getting tipped. <laughs> It's a fast move in this one, so we're just going to keep going a little bit. We're on to Diane. She's in the girl cruise office, of course. All of this is to catch us up from where we're in the season three. So much to sort of build on from all of these characters. This was the job that she was offered by Ralph's sister. 
Um, she's leaving Bojack voicemail number 17. All of the exposition is done through these um, very detailed voicemails from Diane to Bojack. Um, she talks about how uh, she uh, did a story for Girl Crush on an, an all-girl refugee kickball league, but it didn't get as many clicks as an article that, uh, that has outlines of Chris Hemsworth's penis. But, you know, as we well know, that's the content game. Um, she says, quote, it's weird not having you around. I hope you're okay wherever you are. That feels like a good place to break. Um, we've kind of got a lot of silliness, a lot of moving of the plot, a lot of moving of the characters. We've got three months to try and catch up on over the course of two or three scenes, really. But the thing they've like laboured on more than anything else is Bojack and Diane's relationship, or indeed the lack of a one at the moment. If you recall at the end of season three, Bojack leaned very, very hard on Diane for emotional support and at the same time pretty much pied her off. And yet now that he's gone... Even she comes to realise that maybe he provided value in her life or she's just worried about him full stop. It's interesting that she's giving so much away of herself here to Bojack when previously, certainly in the last season, she seemed to hold back quite a lot. I think it's fascinating because I, th I feel like almost, whether it's, well, I say whether it's by design or not, of course it's by design, but brilliantly, Diane, who was probably a character who needed to get a lot of stuff off her chest, um... I feel like Diane almost uses the fact that Bojack is missing and disappeared. And obviously she keeps calling to get in touch. And obviously we don't know where he is. We don't know what's going on. The last time we saw him, he had, of course, ran away, essentially, or driven away, certainly, in the car until he was stopped in his tracks by all those horses running out in the wild. I just think they cleverly use this. Diane almost, whether she likes to admit it or not, using this is almost therapy for herself. It's Diane's dear diary, but it's dear Bojack rather than... And she, well, she might just be saying under the guise of, I want to tell you, like, oh, I want to find you and make sure you're okay, which probably does, let's be honest, because she mm -hmm. cares about him. It does feel like she knows that that isn't going to pick up and almost like she just wants to use it as a sounding board for herself, just to, like, to just catalogue what's going on in her life to try and make a bit of sense of it, which is something I think she struggled with, certainly, in the last few, the last season, certainly, where she, her Mr. Peanut Butter, obviously, have had a very difficult time to try and, Figure yeah. this out. I think we can. It's fair to say. Mm. Um, but yeah, a very an interesting one because Diane got such a tongue lashing off Bojack at one point for not really knowing where she was in life, and now ironic that she doesn't know where he is at all. I think you've really hit upon something there with like the idea of like obviously cataloging and diarying and also therapy. Uh, this, as she pointed out, was the 17th voicemail she's left him. And she's gone into quite a lot of detail in these voicemails. Yeah. And it has come at a time where she finds herself a little bit distanced from Mr. Peanut Butler's adventures yet again. Um, you wonder how long it took them to have 17 conversations when she was just laid up in Bojack's house in a dressing gown. Again, emotionally distanced from Mr. Peanut Butler. Mm. Somehow, despite Bojack being this chaotic figure that sometimes blows in and out of Diane's life like a tornado, she finds comfort in his understanding, even if that's from a distance, whether it be in his house with them not talking and just sat mindlessly smoking dope and watching DVDs all day, or indeed mm. through one-sided voicemails. This isn't, although this is the first time she has appeared to show care for him, it's not the first time she's utilised their relationship in this way. I find it weird, do you find it weird, certainly, that like, this, seem to, this seems to work better when they're socially distanced, almost. Fact, like, <laughs> yeah. like, because genuinely... Diane has said that we've had that moment, didn't we, at the start of season three where she'd been avoiding Bojack because of the, mm. the events of season two where she spent all that time in his house and they kind of were a bad influence on each other. They did ended up just sitting doing nothing together, uh, which ultimately ended up ending one of Bojack's relationships and 
forced Diana to realise she was doing the wrong thing. This is kind of the best of both worlds for Diane because she gets a person she cares about, she gets somebody to talk to, but she doesn't have to be with them, which mm-hmm. is a thing that normally ends up leading to a negative spin on her life. This is her way of having a connection with Bojack, but not actually having a connection, which, as we saw, who else had a very good connection with Bojack, Michael, but never actually had to deal with him in person? It was the no, closer, Michael. It was, it was the closer, yeah, of course. Of course. That's what, a, yeah. a, what a fascinating relationship we had there, and this is almost an exact version of that, only Diane speaking in the void, and like much like Bojack was to the closer, only there's nothing on the other end at the moment. And like the closer, Diane here is in total control of the narrative. Yeah. She's the one completely stern. Very, very interesting. We uh, will come back to Diane shortly. There is much more on her in this episode, but we are back to Princess Caroline and Ralph. I thought I should point out a bit of a programming note at this point. Um, if you've noticed that there is no Bojack notes to speak of yet, it's because there has been no Bojack to speak of yet. We will get more on that later. Uh, Princess Caroline and Ralph are having dinner out. Um, Ralph gives her another like lovey dovey card. Um, and Princess Carolyn notes that she couldn't make a movie date uh, the prior evening as she'd gone to the doctors. Uh, Ralph immediately con- like feels concerned and feels worried and says, Is everything okay? Uh, and she says, Yes. But Ralph follows up with, I don't like not knowing where you are, which does play a little bit onto him being a little bit clingy. A couple of suspicions that we had that he might have been a little bit controlling. We were trying to work out how blurred that line was and how intentional that blurred line was at the end of season three. More of that in season four. And I think the, as much as you can see, there's some love there, that unease remains palpable too. Um, But it does end nicely. He asks her to move in with her, uh, but she politely declines. She says it's not a good time. And again, it's not something that at least forces the issue. So they seem at least on an even footing, despite him taking that, taking that like sort of minor rejection. We are back to Todd. He's asleep at Mr. Peanut Butter's house. Um, but he wakes suddenly to the sound of a drone thrown at the door. Uh, it's a gift from Emily. Uh, the notes uh, to let him know that is sat on the seat of the throne. He's got everything he needs. And we cut to him buzzing around uh, Mr. Peanut Butter's campaign office. He's got the, the drone controller to use, can't control it whatsoever, and he's just flying all over the shop. But this is obviously to let us know that we're back in the hub of Mr. Peanut Butter's governor operation. Uh, he's nervous about the results. But unfortunately, 9am hit is the deadline that he had to get the signatures and he's failed to get it done. Uh, Princess Carolyn is there already trying to cast him in movie roles. Diane is glad just for the people to be leaving the house and for life to be returned to normality. But uh, Katrina notes more so that he's been thrown all bones in his lives. And yet this is the one time where people just don't like him enough. He's finally found his ceiling of likability. Obviously, this plays nicely to the flashback that we got at the start of this episode. And indeed, virtually every single time we've seen Mr. Peanut Butter try his hand, at anything they just don't like him enough um uh, mr peanut butter actually at this point says he quite likes woodchuck uh, and he's a fine governor but he just thought he'd make a good one anyway uh diane importantly now it's safe to do so says he'd have made a great governor and not to give up on all the qualities that would have made him a great governor he reads that to mean that she said that he should never give up on becoming governor never give up <laughs> on anything whatsoever and he races to the front of his house and while pinning all the credit slash blame on Diane for this, challenges Woodchuck to a ski race down Devil's Mountain and not just any ski race. A ski race to determine, time check this, Nicholas, who's the fucking governor of California? Oh, man. <laughs> Todd flies back into shot, still unable to control the drone throne, pulling out the PB for Governor banner as if this has all been a carefully constructed stunt from the window uh, over the top of this chaotic sort of like 
public speech scene. Um, <laughs> we've got this point to Woodchuck. He's watching this from his office. He notes how stupid it is, how he'd rather focus on his drought plan, which is going to cause nothing but problems because he's laid it out like an acrostic plan, which just spells drought. drought. Uh, <laughs> but uh, his assistant <laughs> says the story will go away in a couple of days. Card one month later. <laughs> Mr. Peanut Butter's on a chat show with a Ryan Seacrest type saying, quote, this isn't an usocracy, it's a democracy. <laughs> so let's ask them what they think. <laughs> Naturally, the brain crowd are wild for the ski race down Devil's Mountain. Woodchuck at another press conference unveiling his drought policy is bombarded with questions about racing peanut butter. The story's picked up by Tom Gumbo Jumbo, who hosts a debate in the studio on it. Two aristocrats are discussing it in the street, but one of them doesn't care, I should point out, because he's just got a giant bag of kettle corn until Todd flies in from out of nowhere, steals it and flies away again. Uh, it's, I should note at this point, he drops the controller that was controlling the drone throne, smashes it to the floor, trapping him in the sky with the kettle corn. But indeed, um, the challenge is out there. Mr. Peanut Butter wants to be governor and he wants to win it in a ski race, all because Diane gave him the confidence boost, all because he lost the opportunity to recall him in the first place. This episode is going off a cliff faster than Mr. Peanut Butter eventually will. The timing of this obviously feels very, very, very particular right about now. <laughs> all I'm saying is, at least Mr. Peanut Butter allowed the votes to be counted, Michael. And, <laughs> and he was happy about it. And he wasn't shouting about it. He he just, and at least he found a proper, legitimate <laughs> alternative means of wanting to challenge his opponent during the political race. Anyway, that sounds like a whole bunch of other stuff right about now. This is fascinating. Peanut Butter, I love, I love the Diane who is being like, we've all been in this situation where you've, You've been supportive of something, even though you're like, because you know ultimately it's not going to happen. You, you, you're just there for the moral support. <laughs> and watching her inadvertently just drive Mr. Peanut Butter to find a way <laughs> is absolutely amazing. The, those little the little scenes where Diane's shouting for Katrina. Katrina? Katrina? <laughs> like, maybe we should get Katrina's two cents on this, she says. Just as she tries to completely deconstruct the fact that she's so good at what she does by accident. She has driven her own husband into the, in the, back into the political race. Brilliant stuff, this. Really, really good. And, I mean, Mr. Peanut Butter, despite having zero skills, Michael, <laughs> <laughs> which they have made extremely, extremely clear here, has he got a chance? <laughs> well, it's worth noting, before, uh, obviously, we get to the, the grand payoff here of just how full of praise he was at the start of this episode for Woodchuck as a governor yeah. as well. It's only at the very last minute uh, where he realises that, well, somebody that's qualified can do this job, but I believe I can do it better. This is obviously a, a commentary on so much of what we've seen of certainly United States politics and to a wider extent, like global politics. Um, it's just, it's the way in which this accelerates so quickly from one thing to another is the tell. The Devil's Mountain mentioned is the tell. What the hell's Devil's Mountain? What the hell yeah. Devil's Mountain is, Nicholas, is the sort of thing that a Mr. Peanut Butter's House episode would introduce into the plot out of nowhere. Um, yeah. And you will suddenly realise the sillier this gets, the more you are trapped in the sitcom that you started watching happen at the in the cold open in 1992. I think it's brilliant as well because we've done this. How many times have we done it where, the, where an episode of Bojack has tried to basically turn itself into an episode yeah. of Horsing Around? And now we are getting finally maybe what we 
One of the things we probably wanted at this point, but didn't know how much we wanted it, was a, essentially an episode of Mr. Peanut Butter's House, which has quite literally happened in Mr. Peanut Butter's House. What is this? A crossover crossover episode? <laughs> we, uh, we find Woodchuck labouring over the decision with his wife, who I have to give a shout out to Alison Bree, pulling double duty in this episode, obviously as Diane, but also as Woodchuck's wife. A sort of an old, gentrified almost like Victorian-era American woman pals. What, Charles? Do it for your nation! <laughs> completely overrated, completely overplayed. Couldn't be more in keeping with the sitcom world that Woodchuck has suddenly found himself enveloped in. Uh, stupid as the whole thing is, uh, he eventually rejects the offer as it's not remotely constitutional. Suddenly, a journalist asks if he could, uh, if the constitution was changed, uh, would he then accept it? Would he permit such a thing? Um, Woodchuck, the robust professional, says, of course, he would have to consider that. Uh, Diane watches this from home uh, on the television with uh, Katrina and Peanut Butter, assured that this politics thing is now finally over because there's absolutely nothing they can do. Katrina has a plan. What we get now is an absolutely amazing cutscene, plays to those incredible uh, 70s American political animations where they would they were often delivered in schools where you would have like politics explained to children or young adults in a very simplistic way and um, where you've got uh, all the worldly animated Katrina walking along with the amendment uh, through parliament, through politics to get this signed off and uh, how she does it is she rigs it. She fills the amendment with a load of additional clauses uh she <laughs> offers to get babies access to vaping which is quite a cute callback to something that we're trying to arrange in season three mm -hmm. somebody wants to drive to hawaii so she agrees to add building a bridge to hawaii on this amendment ultimately the amendment where somebody can become governor by winning the ski race uh is more about all the other things that it's going to do for the people so much so that it's called the i love california amendment which naturally gets ratified. Woodchuck is appalled to have to accept this challenge, <laughs> but in doing so, notes that he was actually an award-winning skier at Dartmouth University. He rather coyly mentions that he never thought this would factor into his political career. <laughs> we are where we are. Uh, Mr. Peanut Butter wraps this scene with just the most amazing quote. Uh, it's days like this, I wish I knew how to ski. <laughs> Get the time code again. The thick fuck has challenged Woodchuck to a ski race, but he can't ski. Diane, bless her, assumes that this, this will be this the thing. But an absolutely raging Katrina insists that Mr. Peanut Butter has to go to ski school. Before I get to ski school, I mean, tie a bow in this way. <laughs> I mean, how do you tie a bow into that, Michael? There's that many strands. This is like when you put your headphones in your pocket and you pull them out and it's just interwoven in ways you never imagined. I love this and I love that, that, that Mr. Peanut Butter casual, casual reveal <laughs> that he doesn't know how to ski as he's like tossing a tennis ball up and down his mouth or some bullshit like that. It's absolutely amazing. This actually reminded me of, you know, we talked about how they're doing the... Um, the whole thing is obviously the sitcom type trope, uh, but this reminded me of a show that I guess gets a little bit lambasted these days. But uh, Family Guy, where you know you do the they they go to the prison to uh, basically play music in the prison as a band, mm. and they do this great montage where they're getting all their instruments together, the band's getting ready. They get to the prison and they're just about to play for the for the <laughs> audience, and they're like, "Oh my god, we don't know any songs." <laughs> And I just thought this was such, it's such a great gag. 
because there's this whole build. Like, you're so drawn into this thing. Hey, maybe, just maybe. Like, it's so wacky, but what if? And then just as you get to the point where he's found, he's got the thing, the most impossible thing, he's like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> I don't know how to ski. It's funny as well. Like, this show is really good. It never, it never sells its own wackiness. So yeah. not sell us, the viewer, out. It tells you that the stupid thing happening is stupid and the show knows it. And I love, in the absence of Bojack, who normally provides that voice, it's Woodchuck himself. Um, he admires and honours the democratic process uh, and democracy itself. Once it's ratified, he has no choice but to follow the amendment. But at every other point, he's addressing how stupid it is to the point where he doesn't really want to put over just how great a skier he is, because why should it matter? But now yeah. it certainly does. And I think that's the really important thing here, because obviously they are using this episode quite well as a vehicle to be like, hey, look at how flawed politics is. <laughs> um, which obviously probably feels, again, quite important right now, if you listen to this in the year 2020. <laughs> um, but I should point out as well, we are recording this. We are still not sure of what the result is going to be of the election that happened. Is it two days ago, one day ago? Oh, Technically, still ongoing. The count is still ongoing. So hopefully by the time you listen to this in the future... It's all figuring itself out. But now I don't want to get into that. What I do want to get into is how brilliantly they have Woodchuck as that character who is bound by the rules so like, stringently. And yet, and yet, Michael, because the public can be swayed so easily by a bunch of backhanders, in, a, in a, almost that animation, I should also, I want to give a nod to that because that is stunning, really stunning. Almost like old school Disney where the characters are bopping up and down on their knees yeah. like as they're talking and going around the world, literally walking around the world to get to what they wanted. Um, it was just stunning, a real great callback that. And an almost The Wire-esque nod to there are layers to this game and if you play the game, you get what you want, even if that means something ridiculous happens as a result. And I love that. Particularly nice, of course, that they focus on politics in season four of the Wire in great detail. And here we are at the start there of season four. Quite neat. Look at that. Um, and the Wire's other competitor, along with Bojack Horseman, for best shows ever, is The Sopranos, which of course was written, directed, and created by David Chase, who cut his teeth making the Bojack Horseman ripoff with Mr. Hey, Peter Butter in Look at that man! <laughs> it all You're comes off. together. Um, yes, the voice of reason that Bojack uh, isn't there to provide is one that now Diane is desperately, desperately missing. Uh, she's narrating yet another call to Bojack as Mr. Peanut Butter puts his skis on top of his car and prepares to go to ski school. Things are drastically going out of control uh she says quote i wish you were here for this she talks about how bojack would offer all these various like cold water common sense splashes that every character in her life needs and yet doesn't seem to be getting and um, she says quote the last time i saw you you told me you needed me in your life and then you just disappeared so how do you think that makes me feel all of this i should point out as the shot has moved on and she's no longer waving away mr peanut butter but she stood at bojack's empty house the house looked identical to how it did at the end of season three in fact not in the very end of season three but two episodes before the end of season three when he had the oscar party that is virtually unchanged from the chaos of that scene um still trashed still empty door wide open that's the thing it feels notable to say there i was going to say that the door is a completely wide open he hasn't locked the door he's just left the house it's nothing to him at this point. It's funny that that scene was once everything to him. Um, yeah. All those people he believed would be worried if he tried to kill himself and suddenly they were all gone and all that was left was that exact, well, show that remains to this day. <laughs> uh, there's a really tremendous sight gag here. I should point out at some point where she's staring wistfully at Bojack's apartment and we see Todd on the throne drone that's still out of control flying in the background. Um, 
through, <laughs> through the clouds, cuts to him, and he's just surviving by eating all the kettle corn. The bag is gradually going down, but at least it's keeping him alive. Um, Mr. Peanut Butter is at Ski Academy. <laughs> God damn it. He meets <laughs> this sitcom professor called Professor Thistlethorpe, and they race through every academia-themed yeah. trope you've ever seen. The professor is at first stuffy and doesn't want anything to do with Mr. Peanut Butter. <laughs> Within seconds, he thinks that maybe he can fix him after all. And Mr. Peanut Butter is playing the new guy on campus and then somebody that's been there all of his life and the place means more to him than anything. <laughs> he, teaches him, he teaches him to ski by asking him to read a poetry book. 24 hours later, Mr. Peanut Butter hasn't read the poetry book, but that was the test, and he passed. <laughs> Doesn't know how to ski, but uh, he calls Mr. Peanut Butter his finest student ever. He says he, says he loves him, and then, <laughs> and then coughs gravely to one side, but then says, it's okay, it's nothing to worry about. Come back tomorrow for your diploma. <laughs> 20, 24 more hours passed. Mr. Peanut Butter shows up in his office in cap and gown, ready to receive his diploma the next day. The professor, a caterpillar, is forming a chrysalis around himself, which is just about complete. The cough was far worse than he dared suggest to Mr. Peanut Butter, who is, of course, you know, still asking for that first bit of ski advice that he never ever gets. The chrysalis forms completely around him. He's gone forever, and Mr. Peanut Butter is. Ready for the race? <laughs> Question mark. Question. Uh, a short section, but I feel like we have to stop and dwell on it. This rips the piss out of everything you've ever watched. No film, no going back to college, uh, yeah. high school. None of that will ever be the same again because they've destroyed it in a minute and a half. The most oh, condensed, condensed yet brilliant version of this I think you're ever going to see. The I love you. When he tells him he loves love him. You. <laughs> it's unbelievable. This. Like, I don't want to do it any disservice because it is such a quick spot. Even to the point where, like, the chrysalis is closing around him and Peanut Butter himself, who has been told he's going to get this diploma, he's passed all of ski school, all he's of the, the best tests. He's the best student he's ever had. He's the best student he's ever had. And yet, even as um, Professor Thistlethorpe is about to disappear, Peanut Butter's like, so, like, any advice on skin? Or... <laughs> <laughs> Which, it just, it's, it's so stupid. It's so ridiculous. As the chrysalis is shutting around his face, and he says, the most important thing in skiing is to bet. And then he cuts him off. To which point, Peanut Butter, who still knows nothing about skiing, we should point out, despite about to get his diploma from Ski Academy, is just left with the question, Michael, who's Ben? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I couldn't, he didn't even read the poems. I love that. He didn't so even much. read the poems. Like, he forgot to read the poems and passed the test. That was the test, and you passed. Well played, old man. <laughs> uh, it's the big race. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to beat around the bush. Uh, Mr. Peter falls on his ass and just starts rolling down the hill. What's your got? Can't <laughs> ski. Can't ski. I let's not be daft about this. Man can't ski. Uh, he flails. Sorry, actually, I've just also remembered that he even forgets to take his own skis to the start <laughs> yeah. of the lesson. Oh, brilliant stuff. Sorry, carry on. As you were saying. Yeah, he's also of a tip. Uh, Woodchuck is comfy, looks professional, looks in his element, of course, which we know he is. Um, we cut, however, 
to the end of the race, the finish line in the sort of après ski area. And we see uh, sort of all the central characters from the episode there. Again, as if this was a very neatly packaged 25-minute sitcom, uh, including Ralph and Princess Carolyn. Why the hell would they be at this thing? But there they are. Uh, Princess Carolyn says she's now ready to move in. She didn't want to tell him when they were at the restaurant uh, because she was pregnant. Uh, she was going to tell him. But unfortunately, she had a miscarriage. Uh, Ralph suggests that they should try for a baby together instead, that maybe, obviously, they can build on that bad news and make something lovely as a result. Princess Carolyn seems blissfully happy at the prospect of them moving in together, having a baby, and that's where we leave them for now. Um, but back to the central plot point, the big race, which, of course, isn't even a race because Woodchuck is gracefully leading with ease. Uh, then we get that death toll, that noise, Right as the commentary team of a Ryan Seacrest type and Tom Gumbo Jumbo announced that Woodchuck's got this race sewn up, the death toll <laughs> takes us to the sky. Uh, Todd has ran out of kettle corn. Uh, he drops his empty bag from the sky and looks down and spies Mr. Peanut Butter in the middle of this race. Uh, before he can really take that thought in, he actually falls out of the drone throne and onto two bears having a picnic on a wooden lodge halfway up the ski track. Um, sorry if all of this isn't making sense. It's almost like none of this episode does. <laughs> the slats from the picnic table where the bears are having their lunch become makeshift skis for Todd, at which point he flies off in an enormous jump and their tablecloth becomes a huge parachute, because of course it does. He flies over the finish line, right, sort of just after before Woodchuck crosses himself on the skis. Um Obviously, it's an easy winner over Mr. Peanut Butter, uh, with Mr. Peanut Butter lagging behind to the point where he can't even finish the race because he collides into the metal structure hole at the finishing line rather than crossing the line itself. <laughs> Great gag, by the way. Outstanding gag. Peanut Butter hitting that pole is unreal. Woodchuck, upon preparing to just be done with this mess for the third time, take a time code check. He's told the f***ing Todd is the governor. <laughs> His position as a makeshift flying squirrel, he has somehow taken advantage of the small print in this amendment that says the first person to cross the line is governor. It's Todd. He immediately resigns because he realised, after all this time being governor, that he doesn't want to be governor, to which point Woodchuck asks for his job back and an official notes that it can only be decided by an election. <laughs> Mr Peanut Butter takes the stage. Claiming to be an everyman compared to Woodchuck. Claiming, and let's be honest, it's total bullshit that he's the one that these people need rather than the people they're stuck with in the form of this Governor Woodchuck who, let us not forget, he thought was great and doing a fine job before all of this started. Uh, he whips the crowd up into a massive peanut butter, peanut butter, peanut butter chant, at which point we cut to Diane who goes, Diane, Diane, what now? In a just <laughs> unbelievable way to sort of close the loop on her disastrous journey throughout this episode. Uh, he shouts down Woodchuck one last time with Woodchuck stampeded over when he just calls for a little bit of common sense, a little bit of decorum. Diane is knocked over in that same stampede. Her phone goes off flying. Um, she claws for it in the snow. And uh, when she finally grabs it, she rings Bojack. Why would she not? He's obviously been that sounding board. He's been that therapy. He's been that person he can turn to. Not anymore. His voicemail inbox is full. And that, Adam Nicholas, without sight nor sound of the horse himself, is where we leave episode one of season four. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A horse, a horse, my podcast for a horse. Oh, oh, Michael Hamflith. And we haven't had one. We haven't been given one. Nor shall we. Nor no. shall we this episode. Hey, listen. It's nice to know that even when Bojack's not involved, shenanigans, absolute catastrophes, and purely ridiculous things still happen in the world of Hollywood. Um, an interesting dynamic, though, to completely change, flip a season on its head. Talk about opening with a completely different note that we haven't seen before. You've got to give the people what they haven't seen and shock them, and this was very much that, wasn't it? Um, God, I can't imagine what it must have been like filming the show Mr. Peanut Butter's House. <laughs> <laughs> Just lots of this. I think a, a really important thing to start with, and a landmark episode, Michael, for the men of Hollywood, again, <laughs> shock, who they've really decided to just amp up once again. If you're a man in Hollywood and you're an idiot, chances are it's you're going to do pretty damn well, actually. <laughs> work out okay, isn't it? Chances are you're going to be fine. Uh, but yes, shenanigans, yeah. Todd winning, Todd becoming governor. And then immediately declaring he doesn't want to be governor. (laughs) is, And having him just, he's been the governor, and now this is off the bat of him having been a millionaire for a day (laughs) and then lost all his money in the same day. Exceptional. Absolutely exceptional. Diane's plight, exceptional. Uh, I do want to also, just before I forget to say this, um, it's a little point on Carolyn and Ralph, uh, which... I have to say, like as they were talking, her and Ralph, obviously she mentions that she has the miscarriage. And now, like, you know, for a lot of perceptions of people who might not have had anything to do with or dealt with miscarriage before, feels like a big deal. You know, it's a you know, it feels like a big deal, scary big deal, and obviously it doesn't make it any less of a big deal. But like for people who may not be as initiated, like, obviously it can be quite a commonplace thing. And I just love the way that the two of them had this conversation together and it kind of felt like they were normalising it a bit, which I think more mainstream media needs to do. 
uh, particularly in like in shows like this as well, because I feel like how many times do you see it where, and by the way, a horrible thing for anybody to have to deal with, certainly not to downplay it, but also everything that's happened is such a big deal, but actually this happens to a lot of people and can happen more, more than once to the individual people is something I just think is like an important message that I don't feel I see enough in TV yeah. shows or in, in films and stuff. And I just, I really like that. that it, she kind of was, obviously it's Princess Carolyn. She was just very, not business minded about it, but it was very normal. No, that's, that's a very, very good point to highlight. I don't want to be just another stupid idiot man making a point on behalf of women, but it feels like typically Bojack Horseman is an excellent show for women in that regard. If you just take this episode as a standalone one, um, and I would welcome, of course, in the replies, in the comments, in the feedback, any disagreements from any of our female listeners that think where yep. Bojack might have gone wrong, or indeed our coverage of it might have gone wrong. Um, but it feels like where you've got the clown element of this, where the men are cast as buffoons and the women are cast as the ones that should be in charge of all of this because everything yeah. would function so much better. You also have uh, a very normal part of a, a woman's life. The stats are enormous. I don't mind admitting to you on the podcast, it's something my wife and I have gone through on more than one occasion, and yet you are constantly greeted with most media, as you say, presenting it in such a way that does the opposite of normalising it. If yeah. they're going to treat it, they're going to treat it as an earthquake. And if you're a viewer watching at home, you then maybe feel like you're subject to that same earthquake. It's far better to feel like all it is is the ground rumbling and that tomorrow might be a slightly better day and the light the light might shine a little bit brighter from the darkness of today. I think Bojack covers that brilliantly. And this isn't the first time it's done that on this show nope. as well. Yeah. Um, it's a pioneer in that regard. Um, I don't want to downgrade other shows that might have touched on this in a similar fashion because there will be plenty out there. Um, but this isn't the first time we've had a conversation like this where Bojack has undersold something for the betterment of the issue it's trying to address. Yeah, knowing full well how much time and detail they tend to spend on doing things like this, not just for like for this topic, but a, a whole bunch of others. Mm. They actually try to include them and make them commonplace and normalise them within the show. Yeah. And I just I just thought it was such a lovely touch, um, which might have gone completely unnoticed. Like it could have gone right under the radar for a few people. And I just, I really enjoyed that in terms of like, it's real, isn't it? That's relationships, it's, that's life. It's... We say this a lot and, you know, it's it's to our detriment, I guess, sometimes in this podcast, but at least on the show itself that we're reviewing, there's women in the room. Yeah, that's There's, that, there's women in the room that have the control over the pens and that's that's often everything, isn't it? It's hugely important. And as you say, we are just two, two men giving a hot take on that. So if we do <laughs> have anybody who would like to tell us otherwise or... Or certainly give us takes. We welcome them. Please do at Podcast Horseman uh, on those sorts of things. All in all, though, as you say, the, the men of Hollywood are idiots, as we've seen, and they seem to be seem to be prospering still, which is <laughs> nice to know. We're still going to get the same old stuff, but also the women in this episode across the board kind of like have a handle on it. Like uh, I was going to, I always go to call her Princess Diana, um, <laughs> and of course Diane who. All right, might not get any huge victories in this episode, but she's the one who's actively trying to look after and talk about her friend while also doing, I guess, be the be the good wife, I guess, to support her husband. I in think this. she's the voice of reason again. Unfortunately, that voice is not being heard, but at least yeah. that's where she is again because that's where she should be. Because that's it sounded, it sounded more like her returning somewhere to where she should be, even if the right people weren't listening to her. Mm. If that makes sense. But we're listening, and that's important. And so yeah. are you. And I guess the other thing you might be listening for at this point is a few little bits, Michael, of yes. horsing around the part of the show where we go back and pick up all of the hidden meanings, the small details you might have missed, 
or indeed just the Easter eggs that are floating around in the show. Now, obviously, we should, what do we call this one? Peanut buttering around, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> because there's no Bojack, there's no horsing, so we can't do horsing around. So this is a special one-week episode of Good. Peanut Buttering Around. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, certainly theme song pending, I will say. I just can't believe we got a jingle made when we knew it was the only one we one off. That's the, that's the production values you get on this show. That's what you get with this show. And I can't, you know, look, we've got connections. What can I say? We've got connections. Thank what's you. Your, uh, what's your RBG thinks on the, uh, on the finale? We'll ask him his thoughts thanks, on this. Thank you, Paul F. Tompkins, for your help with that one. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I will go all the way back to the start of the episode. The opening credits is where we are going to start with your peanut butter in a round for this week. <laughs> Um, because as you probably have noticed, the opening credits of this show are amazing and they will continually change to reflect the changes that are happening within the season. And this one was no different. Uh, a big change this time around, as you will recall, last season, there was a point of the credits where you go through and the scene was Bojack standing outside a uh, theatre right before an Oscars awards ceremony night or whatever it was. That has, of course, been changed. Uh, this time has been swapped around for this incredible so you get the scene where Bojack wakes up in the morning. You get the scene where Bojack's in the living room, which was all still smashed up. Then he's in the kitchen. And then the, the in this moment, in this new credits, the kitchen sort of peels away in this amazing, mm. turns to paper and disappears and floats off as it is brushed aside, Michael, for this amazing kaleidoscope-esque looking thing where basically the screen is filled in kaleidoscopic fashion with a lot of people from Bojack's life. And I'm just going to read them out. There's a list here of all of the people who appear in that kaleidoscopic feature. Uh, we have Princess Carolyn, who's the first person to come out. Then it's Todd. Then we get Herb Kazaz, Sarah Lynn, Bradley Hitler-Smith and Joel Clark, who are all together as a little bundle. Then we get um, Kelsey Jannins. We get Butterscotch Horseman, his father, Beatrice Horseman, his mother, and a young Bojack, you know, the trio we always Ooh. see and associate with pure sadness, Michael. <laughs> that, that, it's always that sailor's yeah. outfit that just breaks me. That's a little trio that was always a wounder for us. And <laughs> some little additional things that are floating around is that there's cotton candy is also floating around. Of course, Bojack has a big affinity with that as far <laughs> back as season one, episode one. And brilliantly, some it's like brown... Lick, lick, like liquor, it's like whiskey or something that floats around at the scene and then lands in his glass as it goes into the next shot with him it's holding the glass. Beautiful, isn't it? It's, it's really stunning, stunning, stunning stuff. But the brilliant part about this, Michael, is this whole thing in itself is, of course, a callback to season one, uh, the episode where Diane and Mr. P, Diane and Mr. P, Diane and Bojack go to. Uh, it's Live Fast, Diane New Win, I believe the episode is, of season one, where they go back to essentially bury Diane's father. Um, and she distracts Bojack with, Michael, a kaleidoscope in the back of the car, uh, of which Bojack, I believe, replies, shapes and colours the likes of which I've never seen. <laughs> <laughs> which I think we can all agree, he has certainly uh, integrated into this credits. And also, another little tiny bit for you, the party scene that comes after that in Bojack's house, on the TV, there's always something different. This time around, you will see on the screen, it's got Woodchuck, Kudchuk, Berkowitz on the screen. Ah, nice. And next to the TV is Katrina, who was in his house watching the telly, I guess, <laughs> which she probably would be at this point. <laughs> anyway, we go to Mr. Peanut Butter's house now. Quick little dive in here. We see all of the mad things that are going on with his campaign and all the people who are in there. There's a lovely mailbox that's 
It's got three boxes for mail. It's got one that's in, it's got one that's out, and it's got one that's... (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much, Matty Healy. It's also got a bunch of diagrams on the wall, one of which is a (laughs) a diagram of like a hot spot of voters, I guess, from around the uh, the state. And it's just a bunch of red dots that just says, yes, we might. (laughs) (laughs) I thought was amazing. There's also a calendar that Katrina brings out, which has... Uh, Mr. Peanutbutter's face on it in the iconic Barack Obama poster. You know the one. It's the like, mm. slightly bluey red coloured uh, poster of Obama's face that has obviously been put with peanutbutters on. Should put, somebody should put that on a mug. Someone should put that on a mug. It would look really good, wouldn't it? But also on top of that, we get the lovely little tidbit that, Michael, the date as it is, as of the calendar was shown, is the 24th of October at this point. Is it, I assume, 2017, 24th of October 2017 or 2016, one of the two? I will leave that to your discretion. I'm sure you've all got your own ideas on that. Um, also, there's a brilliant gag where Todd is floating around the house with a hot dog, as he always is with some form of food. He's trying to put mustard on his hot dog, and the more times we see Todd and he goes around, the more mustard he seems to get on himself, but not on the hot dog. By the end of it, he's just covered from head to toe in mustard. <laughs> And there's not a drop on the hot dog, which is absolutely exceptional. Um, as you mentioned, Katrina and Diane, the dynamic, of course, both of them being peanut butters, one his wife, one his ex-wife, mm. whereas Katrina is the one drinking out of a mug that is clearly Diane's mug that says number one wife. Ooh, and as Diane goes to pick what? up a mug to drink her coffee, she picks it up and turns around to reveal the mug says, meh. <laughs> 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 which kind of sums up the entire way Diane mm-hmm. feels about this whole thing, I think. Um, <laughs> but I also thought it was brilliant the way Diane is on the phone to Bojack and she's constantly leaving the messages and she becomes the one who says this is Diane by the way new in obviously a nod to the fact that every time Bojack ever leaves a message yeah. he says this is Bojack by the way horseman <laughs> we go to Vim management um, little quick gag outside where there's a woodpecker woman who is pecking a sign that says Chuck Woodchuck into the grass of Vim management outside then just a brilliant, a brilliant gag here, but a relevant one nonetheless. Uh, as, as Princess Karen is talking about uh, a new project for Peanut Butter when she thinks she might be out of the race and how she might get director, <laughs> Tommy Schlammy, uh, Tommy Schlammy to come and direct this episode that she was going to get Mr. Peanut Butter involved with. He says, Tommy Schlammy, Schmommy Schlammy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just the stupid classic Peanut Butter and Bojack S gag. But of course, Tommy Schlammy has a reference, and I apologise if I'm getting that name wrong, but Tommy Schlammy, Michael, or Thomas Schlammy, I assume, to his friends and family, is TV director best known for The West Wing and Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, two shows which I feel lend themselves quite well to the mad goings-on of Hollywood and, of course, the political side of things. Yeah. Thought was a nice touch. Um, And I just loved as well when Katrina was talking to Judah, of course, (laughs) she She says, I can't remember what it is, she says, about his John Hancock, she's trying to get it. And she says, thank you, Rain Man Bun. That'll do nicely. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody in this world gets him, do they? Nobody in this world gets him. We get him, but that's the important thing. Jonah for president, everybody. Call him Jonah, there. He's bloody Judah. Never mind. (laughs) That shows how much I care about him. (laughs) Somebody gets him. Somebody gets that guy with the beard anyway. We go across to the Silver Spoon Diner, of course, the scene where Todd famously inadvertently gave away all of his fortune to the waitress. Well, we do get a few lovely callbacks 
this time in the scene as he and Emily are sat at the table. First of all, you'll notice in the bottom right-hand corner by the table that's sitting out, there's a pink bag on the floor, Michael. And on that bag, it says, really fancy hat shop, which oh, is, of brilliant. course, a nod to Emily saying that the first thing she's going to do is buy a really fancy hat with her money. And inside, you see this sort of elaborate hat just peeking out the top of the bag, which I thought was a great callback. And then the whole thing, really, of the two of them sat there is a great like little nod as Todd kind of expresses how much he's get, he, he feels like she's getting really hung up on labels um, in particular. And obviously, he, he says that when he, he talks about the drone throne initially. And she says, like, it can't be a drone throne because you're operating it and therefore it can't be a drone. <laughs> but then obviously that ties in perfectly to the fact he's uncomfortable with labels. This is now the second time Emily has tried to label Todd. She calls him asexual in this episode. Mm-hmm. Of course, in the last episode, season three, episode 12, she referred to him as maybe being gay. And Todd, again, felt uncomfortable. None of those, Michael, were as good as the labelling as Todd did for his own conversation, where he said, wow, well, I would label this conversation rough. (laughs) 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 It's very Todd, to say the least. But none of them are as good as the waitress turning up to give them their (laughs) tip. And the waitress, obviously, who Todd gave $8 million to, still works there, fair play to her. She still likes getting tipped, Michael, which I thought, this cow likes getting tipped. That was a joke that popped me stupid. But obviously, brilliantly, she's wearing a crown. She's wearing <laughs> she's got two fancy necklaces on and she's carrying a scepter in her hand. Which brilliant stuff, this. I love this show so much. We got a girl cruise though, Michael. Then that's where we go next. A brand new environment for us to explore. I mean, in general, girl cruise is just done out like your typical, like the Google offices, or as you would imagine them, all fun little ways for creative people to be creative we see there's a bat person there who's hanging upside down from a banister working on a laptop there's a cat person who's working on a laptop sort of sat at the top of one of those you know like the cat trees that you'd get for actual cats in your home sat in one of those there's also a man who's just walking and using his laptop and like walks and then slides down a slide in the background (laughs) it's just there it's all very creative. The bar, that's a bar, the juice bar inside Girl Crush is called the Juice Bar. <laughs> nice. And then there's a bunch of motivational quotes on the wall to which this is some of them, but not certainly not limited to all of them. We get Crush It. It says, open your mind, but not too much. It says, <laughs> it's okay to be a little cray. <laughs> it, says, it says, love yourself, E. <laughs> it says, don't talk to me until I've had my green juice. It also says, welcome, overthinkers and time wasters. <laughs> and it says, girl, it says, crush, girl, crush, which reminded me very much of fight, steen, fight. Um, mm-hmm. There's also, and the, which we can both relate to, of course, on the screens of all the workers inside, they notably have the application Slap or Slap Slack open on their yes. computers, which, of course, you anybody who uses Slack, the communication network, will know what it looks like. It's on there. Brilliant. Another uh, employee, he's got Facebook on on the sly on the computer. None, none of these are quite as impressive, though. As you mentioned, Diane talks about she does an article about the all-girl refugee kickball team. Well, on her desk, you can see there's a little picture of Diane with the all-girl oh, nice. refugee kickball team in the middle as the all-around are, like, smothering her with joy. Mm-hmm. Completely uh, <laughs> overlooked by 
all of the shots of Chris Hemsworth's penis, <laughs> all the crotch shots, all the crotch shot images that are literally on Jillian's screen, her co-worker, as she describes the fact that that article got loads more clicks than his. Oh man, it's it's too close to the bone. This really too close to the bone. We go to Mister Peanut Butter's house once again, though, and a few more things that we get revealed to do with his uh, his campaign, political campaign. Yes, mm. there's a table there that in the background that's, re- that's labelled politics and on that table there's a bunch of entries and they are just the entries are under like all ticked under the boxes hide it shred it burn it deny it <laughs> which sounds like the follow up to uh, Daft Punk's uh, Daft Punk track <laughs> hide it shred it burn it deny it <laughs> um, Technologic of course is the track for anybody who wants to go and find that the, there's a bunch of pie charts though that are also in the background one of the pie charts says people who eat a healthy diet and the other pie chart says, people who are thinking about eating pie right now. <laughs> There's also a post-it note that says, buy more post-it notes, along with another couple of post-it notes that say, one says, voters love dinner time cold calls. <laughs> and the other one says, 3% of people do trust polls. <laughs> um, Mr. Peanut Butter also has this brilliant, brilliant line in this, which as he's talking about how nervous he feels, he's, he's really nervous, Michael, about this campaign. He, he hasn't been this nervous, Michael, since Diane was vacuuming during a thunderstorm on the 4th of July and had to take a bath. And he had to take a bath. And there was a stranger in their yard. Can you imagine? Poor dog. <laughs> a brilliant player, and of course, all the things that would terrify a dog. We tell you this as we are sitting here recording a podcast on mm. November the 5th, literal goddamn fireworks night. Fortunately, it hasn't interfered with the recording too much, I don't think, at this point. Because um, neither of us are dogs. Because neither of us are dogs, <laughs> enough. Uh, but br- another brilliant little thing here as well, Mr. Uh, when Princess Carolyn is talking about, she's on the phone, she says, Mick G, are you still looking for a star for your transgender Teddy Roosevelt planes, trains and automobiles reboot? Plans, trans, a man, a canal, Panama? <laughs> <laughs> Which is amazing. And look brilliantly, another fantastic line from Peanut Butter here as well. When he's talking randomly, Michael, the press conference, which is just gathered outside of his house after he's like randomly lost, but then decides <laughs> he's going to challenge again. Of course, it does. He's a man in Hollywood, but it's the way he brilliantly says he found himself in a no win situation, but it turns out it was a new in situation. That's such I a good line, man. by the way. His wife, of course, brilliant, brilliant writing that is. Woodchuck. Also has a press conference later on in this episode. And you'll see as he's stood on the podium, there is an image for the that has the great seal of the state of California on it, as most podiums would in mm-hmm. California. Only the gag here, Michael, is that the great seal of the state of California features an actual great seal who seems to be a ruler, presumably, of Roman sort of descent. He's got that Roman centurion yes. look about him. And he's got a bunch of workers who are like digging holes on the floor <laughs> around him. It's amazing. Really well done, this. An actual seal in the get-up, which is brilliant. Then we go across to MSNBC, where, of course, we get all the latest news headlines. And, once again, there's a lovely news ticker for us to dive into, Michael. Let's scroll across the bottom. I'll try and rattle through these quickly. One of them says, lobster mobster caught red-handed. <laughs> One of them says, dangerous fugitive and highly acclaimed character actress Margot Martindale still lost at sea. Presumed, presumed dead, Michael. Hasta mm. la vista de her. There's another news... T- a couple of news headlines here. One says, man bumps into woman, woman apologises. <laughs> Another that says, monkey sees, monkey does. One more that says, a rising tide lifts all boats, claims oil lobbyist at Climate Change Summit. <laughs> <laughs> a 
Giraffe CEO breaks glass ceiling. Nice, very good. And last but not least, study finds news ticker headlines to be more distracting than informative. <laughs> <laughs> These are so yeah. great, man, aren't they? They're they so great. All the amount of time that must go into that. Bloody hell. Uh, we go to the LA streets and quick little bunch of shop names that we get given to us as we see those two aristocrats you mentioned walking through the street with their kettle corn. One of them is a shop called Malt, which is a skin stational day spa, Michael, uh, that offers whole body feather extensions for $8 or a bikini line fair wax for $39. Just in case you were thinking about it, I know, you know. <laughs> You maybe want to make yourself feel pretty at this it's time. It's been a long lockdown. It's been a it long has lockdown. been a long lockdown. God only knows what it looks like. Um, there's <laughs> another, another shop that's called I Pitta the Full, <laughs> which is Egyptian Egyptian cuisine. Of course, full being full metamaze or simply full a stew cooked of fava beans, which I just thought was such a great take on, of course, the famous Mr. T line, I Pity the Full. Oh. <laughs> I Pity the Fool, sorry. And There's also another shop called Sassy ass, Michael. <laughs> Which would you believe it is a shop for donkey jeans? <laughs> of course it is. Of course it is. What else was it going to be? And oh. another shop is just called Therapy, which is follicle sessions. There you yeah. go. Brilliant stuff. What what more do you expect from this show? We also I need to quickly cut to uh, Woodchuck's house, and he's reading a newspaper, Michael. Which Woodchuck is reading in his bed and it's the Sacramento Honeybee newspaper that he's reading and the headline reads Woodchuck continues to duck race issues <laughs> which I thought was quite a <laughs> nice <laughs> before giving us the title Yellow Bellied Governor has a subheading <laughs> uh, an article from Bob Katz and the bits that you can read here it says <laughs> oh man I knew I wondered when this gag would crop up and it crops up so brilliantly here Michael because you can't have a guy who's called Woodchuck Michael and not dive in on that gag of course how much how much slope could a Woodchuck slope have we gotten an answer no Governor Kudchuk Berkowitz refuses to face off against Mr. Peanut Butter in a high stakes challenge for his office and we are clamouring for answers are his legs rotten why would he agree to slalom he could even scoot down the entire mountain on his bottom. This, <laughs> this reporter doesn't know anything about skiing, but what he does know is Woodchuck is a coward. <laughs> brilliant stuff. Absolutely brilliant. As always with these newspaper gags. Unfortunately, not too long. Anyway, in his house still, though, Michael, we get a bunch of paintings of former governors of California. Mm. We get a, the first image is the is an image of Governor mm. Pat Brown, who is a governor in California. We also get the second image, which is a governor of Frank Merriam. And, of course, the last one we get is an image of Arnold Schwarzenegger, a.k.a. Mr. Freeze, who is <laughs> former governor of California. But I think there's a little bit more of this than we first see. And our friends who are listening from America, please do um, give us your take on this, because we came up with this, but this is... You might have a different take. Uh, but... Interestingly, Woodchuck talks about how important the heritage is of these these governors who came before him. And as he points at the paintings, he points at the first painting, which is of Pat Brown, and says, uh, my forefathers who, um, you know, erected the Golden Gate Bridge. We've got forefathers who irrigated the Central Valley. And as he points to the two, Pat Brown and Frank Merriam, they don't quite match up because Pat Brown was not the governor of California when... Mm. The Golden Gate Bridge was erected in 1933. I believe that was, as Wikipedia will tell you, <laughs> was, of course, James Rolfe, who isn't pictured in either of these. 
And then Frank Merriam, who is in the other post, uh, the other post, any other painting. I don't believe the when the the Central Valley was irrigated, that happened earlier than what his reign looks like it was. And I think there's a little message in here, Michael, that they go on about how sort of regal and important these like forefathers are and how mm. important politics are. As we've seen throughout this episode, the whole thing is just not is not presented in the best light. I think it's probably the nicest yeah. way I can put that. And I think it's kind of calling out the bullshit, I think, a little bit here. Obviously, the Mr. Freeze gag at the end is just funny because, of course, it is. But I think the other two are more just a nod to, even when people tell you these things are important, they don't actually know the true crack. Yeah. That's what I think this is. And I thought it was great. Really, really good. But, of course, again, our American listeners at Podcast Horseman, please do let us know <laughs> your thoughts there. Um, we go to, I've just got to give a quick nod to um, Katrina's Amendment animation, which is just beautiful. I know we've done it already, but really, really great stuff again. I need to just mention that. But then we go to Todd's drone throne ride, Michael. He's in the clouds on his drone throne going across. And something I thought was brilliant noted there, as he's going past, it, it, blink and you miss it, but across the top of his drone, you will notice that he's etched in the number of days that he's been on the drone. <laughs> oh, that's nice. And that's I assume detail. the days, they're either, they're either days or they're hours. And let's just assume they are days, maybe. Mm. 23 days he's been on the drone. <laughs> maybe the more I think about it, maybe it is hours. But still, I find that rather funny. That he's had to stand up at one point and try and etch those into the top of the drone. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant stuff, this. We go to the Ski Academy, Michael. A fantastic montage in its own right. Um, Professor Thistlethorpe and his books. Now, I'm going to need some help from anybody who can see because we were struggling to get them read. I did when he's first when Peanut Butter first meets him. He's reading three books. The first one I could make out that was The Wasteland by T. S. Elephant Michael because <laughs> it's like Elliot, but he's an elephant. Don't know if you got that. There's another, <laughs> there's another another book that I couldn't quite read, and then the the third book at the bottom I think is supposed to be a gag about E. E. Cummins, the poet. But it's, it looks like it says E.E. Lemmings, which Very I nice. could be wrong about. Please do let me know. I couldn't. It was, it's hard to read because the way the pixels are on the screen, it's very, very small. So if anybody has those, please do send us those at Podcast Horseman. Unfortunately, we ran out of time while we were trying to sort this out, which sounds like a pathetic excuse for a podcast <laughs> about Bojack Horseman. But hey, there's a lot going on right now. I don't know if you've noticed. Uh, there is another book, though, that he's reading later on that he has, or that he gives to Mr. Peanut Butter, and that is called Leave of Grass by, it's a poetry book again, not by Walt Whitman, no, Michael. It's by Walt Whitmantis. <laughs> <laughs> because he's a mantis, Michael. I don't know if you've got the that. The problem one. is, as long as these are never good, these are brilliant. They can a, never be good. That's... They can never, ever be good. Yeah. And when they are good, we're secretly suspicious about them. Yeah, they've done it wrong. Indeed. There's a, also, as we go in, Peter Peanut Butter's going to the, um, the classroom of Professor Thistlethorpe. There's a chalkboard there that he has with a few interesting bits on the chalkboard. There's a a lovely equation that says ski equals MC squared in the top corner. <laughs> oh, get scribbled out later on. There's also a graph. Now, you add more on this. The graph that, of course, reads pizza on one axis and French fry on the other axis. You've made a great tie into the gag from South Park, though, correct? Yes. Um, really, really famous South Park episode, Aspen, that basically plays on the same gag here, that everything has to end on a ski race down the most devastating mountain. Stan is being taught to ski by the uh, sort of cool 80s ski instructor that's trying to get on his level. And he's given him the most rudimentary ski advice as to uh, use, like, lay skis out like French fries, pizza, French <laughs> fries, pizza, mimicking the shape of the particular type of food. And the graph on this chalkboard's axes are labelled French fries and yeah. pizza. 
Brilliant, a brilliant nod. And just, I just love that that's a thing. I really do. <laughs> and the, the other thing, the only other notable thing I can make out next to it was on the left-hand side is the image of, the famous image, as you'll know, of the Vitruvian Man, which many mm. people probably know as the image used for the Da Vinci Code, you know, of the man yes. with multiple arms and limbs and legs. Uh, but in this one, it's a caterpillar, Michael. Of course it is. It's, uh, <laughs> it's Thistlethorpe, who is a caterpillar. And on this image, he has six arms and oh, six arms and four legs, which, ironically, more than a caterpillar would have. But, of course, you are accounting for the fact that the Vitruvian Man does show a human being with more arms and legs than they should have. So there you go. Um, and, of course, finally, Michael, Devil's Mountain. Let's go to Devil's Mountain, shall we? Yes, and there's a brilliant sign at the very finish line, which you would imagine, Michael, was going to say finish line, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> but it's been crossed out. Finish has been crossed out. And it now says govern-ish line. <laughs> <laughs> because, of course, it does. What else was it going to say? Ralph also, and again, in a, in a kind of cute way, I guess, to try and normalise uh, the miscarriage, when Princess Carolyn tells him, he says, I've actually got a card for that. On the front of the card, it says, life isn't fairage. <laughs> and of course it gets, you get to cut off which I thought was a cute little gag there's also Diane's winter coat we need to talk about Michael because I don't know if you picked up on it but Diane is wearing a big puffer winter coat like a green thing but of course it's the same as her jacket it's also got the arrows pointing Excellent. at the bottom of it Brilliant. so no matter what kind of coat she gets it's still got the arrow branding on it which I thought was great um, also Michael the sponsors for this race brilliantly sponsors for the the governor's <laughs> race incredible stuff even more incredible when you learn that those sponsors make up are seaborne seahorse milk are freshwater taffy both brands we were introduced to in season mm-hmm. three and of course one you can surely see coming a mile away and yet here it is chicken for days it's chicken for days <laughs> everybody's sponsoring a chicken for days which is the third sponsor to feature on the banner which i thought was brilliant uh, of course, and not to season two, I believe, of, of, mm-hmm. of Jack Horseman. Also, the California Republic flag you will see at the when Todd is being sort of dubbed the new governor of California is, I think we've mentioned this before because they've done the gag before, but it's much bigger now. Um, the bear, of course, on the usual logo is, of course, on this image, a human bear who's yes. got jeans and a red shirt on and is <laughs> on all fours walking around. Never doesn't get a laugh from me. And um, Professor... Brilliantly, if you were worried about Professor Thistlethorpe, what a word that is to say, he of course goes in. It was Chrysalis Michael, and what happens when he becomes he comes out the other side a butterfly? And if you are paying attention, as Mister Peanut Butter is making his grand speech at the end of how he's going to rally the troops and everybody's getting behind him, Professor Thistlethorpe can be seen flying around in the background, just out of shot, just pops in and pops straight out. Almost looks very pride, very pride, very proud. That peanut butter on the podium. <laughs> His best student ever, Michael. Let's not forget, he That's does it. love him. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, to end this on a brilliant note, a brilliant little sound bite, as you've mentioned already. Diane, Diane, what now? <laughs> <laughs> she gets her own catchphrase. It's high time. And it is the third of the rule of three to go with the doggy doggy what now. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Those are all of your peanut butter in around for this <laughs> episode of Podcast Horseman. But Michael. This is season four, and that means we keep it the same old formula, which, of course, means we still have time for one last thing. And then I swear to God, we will shut up about this podcast forever. And would you like to go first or second for this brand new season of our pod, Horseman? I'll take first, because once I've done my one last thing, it's probably best that we all shut up about this forever. Um, We have, as you mentioned earlier in the podcast, we're recording this on November the 5th. But it's also November the 5th, 2020. 
Um, I know it. we are socially distanced. If you are listening to this in a future where people are not socially distanced, just tweet us and let us know because I want to be reminded of how awful this timeline was. Um, but yes, it's November the 5th, 2020. And as we record, votes are still being counted in the election. Um, I'd like to pretend that we were really prescient and we planned all of this around this season, starting around this episode and indeed around the election. We weren't. Uh, however, we did discuss last week that had only we been recording on the Tuesday, we would have nailed the election. Instead, we've nailed the count. The election is effectively still ongoing. And it's just interesting that this Bojack, obviously, Peanut Butter was uh, this character arc for Peanut Butter happened months after the inauguration of Donald Trump, who, of course, went in on a populist ticket, despite the fact that he is anything but the everyman he professed to be. He's a billionaire. There are no babyface billionaires. Mr. Peanut Butter is not a billionaire. He kind of is a babyface, but he's far from the everyman. Uh, he's probably far from the governor of a woodchuck's quality, as said by himself at the start of this episode. Yeah. Uh, and yes, it doesn't take a lot other than a few empty platitudes to get a brain mass on your side, which is what happens here. He is vindicated and he is empowered to stand for election, which obviously is at a much smaller level than becoming the president of the United States. But it feels very much like this was both parodying the events that had kind of given America its political earthquake, in 2016 mm-hmm. and was yet still quite forward thinking about just how dafter things could get i think we are currently going through this long election count where the very the very sort of state of democracy is being challenged is being undermined is being threatened by such things you know that are not that far removed from yeah. an amendment that could add a ski race to a governance like it's we're not that far away from that right now in the real world. And I just think it's interesting that while mocking one period in the past, it's kind of foreshadowing some weird stuff that's going to happen in the future. And that really is the one last thing on politics we will bring into this particular episode. Oh, certainly I will. Certainly that that sounds about right. And I will say, I will also add my two cents of, of they are very small two cents, I should point out, in that most importantly, Michael, I would, I'm not saying I would happily enjoy watching and would it be entertaining and would it be one of the biggest click videos on YouTube history if of course we did have a ski race between Donald Trump and Joe Biden to decide who's going to be <laughs> the president of the United States of America I'm not saying that that would be a great thing but I feel like it would just be worth saying I'd certainly be curious I'll be curious <laughs> and if anything actually the way you've spoken about there I would genuinely say that might actually be a ski race to determine this might actually be closer to reality than what is potentially going on right about now. I'd just like, I know, I know it's not great at this, but I do want to just for for timestamp's sake, Michael, mm-hmm. just just to let you know where we are, because I feel like this will either there'll be an after this podcast, of course. Yeah. There'll be next week's podcast. As it currently stands, as Google will tell me, when I, a British man who doesn't know a great deal about it all, types in US election results, we are still currently sat there. 264 confirmed for Biden, 214 for Donald Trump. So who knows what's going to happen? This podcast right. is forever lost in that point where we don't know. But what I do know is, Michael, I can't wait to see Mr. Peanut Butter run for as governor. That's what I want to see. That's the <laughs> I mean, I want to they see. haven't checked the small print. Like they think, they're the only, <laughs> they think they're the only two in the race, but it's actually the first one over the line. So it's it still all to play for. So what you're saying is, by the end of this, there's a very good chance Aaron Paul is going to fly... <laughs> With <laughs> with a pair of sort of 
manufactured skis out of wood planks. Anyway, we've gone off the we've gone off the off the wagon a bit here. I was trying to get back to Mr. Peanut Butter because I want to make my own last thing all about Mr. Peanut Butter. And just a note for anybody who has a tendency to skip those end credits. First of all, shame on you. And second of all, don't go back and watch them again because, as you know, the brilliant end song that comes with every episode of BoJack Horseman, the one we even copied for our theme for this very podcast, uh, is a little bit different this time around. This time, it's the lyrics are there and the song's there, fairly similar, but it's a little bit different because, Michael, despite the fact we are back in the 90s and we're talking about someone who was in a very famous TV show, this one is all centred around Mr. Peanut Butter. So I will just read you the lyrics, which I thought were fantastic because, obviously, this whole episode is really about Mr. Peanut Butter, our new star of the show, it would seem. Yeah. Eh? We'll have to change the name of the podcast soon. <laughs> but the lyrics are as follows. Back in the 90s, I was in a very famous TV show, because of course he was. I'm Mr. Peanut Butter. Now tell me how can I get no votes? Yeah, I'm for the future. Yeah, everyone will get a free TV. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put my face on billboards. The entire world will see. Yeah, I promise peace and love across this broken land. Yeah, I'm your governor, Mr. Peanut Butter Man. <laughs> I'm tasty and good looking. Because <laughs> that's just who I am. Go vote. <laughs> <laughs> Which, to be honest, has is made a strong claim there to become the new end credits of the show, I think. Yeah, tremendous. <laughs> Brilliant. Cool I, I love that. I love the commitment. The tiny little features that they put on this episode to make sure that they kind of tick those boxes in an episode all about peanut butter love mm. that very very much but michael those are our last one last things should i say for this first episode of season four so all that remains now is to do a few little plugs if yes. we will be permitted seeing as how self-promotion seems to have been the whole purpose of this episode pretty much <laughs> so if you'd like to follow this podcast or indeed get in touch with us or just you know, be part of the podcast horseman and indeed Bojack Horseman community that we are trying to grow just by talking about this podcast and talking ourselves horse about a talking horse. You can do just that. You can find us on Twitter or Instagram at Podcast Horseman. You can also follow either of your hosts, myself or Michael Hamlet. You can follow me at It's Adam Nicholas on Twitter and Instagram, and you can follow Michael Hamlet. At Michael Hamflit, you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can follow on Spotify. You can subscribe on Acast. You can listen along on Amazon Music. Pretty much anywhere you get podcasts, you can get Podcast Horsemen. You can even get it on that Twitter feed that Nicholas mentioned before. If you go to at Podcast Horseman every Friday, the Acast embedded link will be there uh, every Friday morning UK time, um, as we sort of did in season three. Though there won't be any stars this time, any retweets, any quote tweets, any sharing. We love all that stuff. It's really built the community in a way we didn't expect. Uh, some really great conversation and comments around the season three recap. So we'd love that to continue on in season four. And if you'd love to leave us a five-star review anywhere you can through your podcast app, through Apple Podcasts, through Spotify, I believe. Um, five stars, a few comments, anything like that. You'll get read out on this very show and get your very own star in the Hollywood Talk of Fame. Just like Brett Waters. Uh, he left us a bit of feedback saying, watch the show because of you guys. Uh, my truly favourite quote from this show and any show I've ever watched is the line the jogging monkey has. It's a perfect representation of anyone struggling to be a good person and I try to take his advice every day. Very, very sage advice indeed. Brett, I really like your first name. Thank you for your five stars. Uh, a start on Hollywood Talk of Fame will be coming its way to you very soon. You could, Michael, say that that review was the best there is, the best there was and the best there ever will be. <laughs> Potentially Certainly excellent in its execution. I know that indeed. One. If anybody wants to top it, they're gonna to have to go and leave a review. I guess they'll have to leave a five-star <laughs> review and try and do a better one 
than that. Thank you very much for your review, Brett. And thank you to everybody else who's also done that in the past or will continue to do so. Now, it is genuinely great to just hear that people are enjoying the podcast. That's the whole point. We're not in this for ego, Michael, at all. We're in this because we like BoJack Horseman and we want to talk to people more about it. But it is nice to hear that people are enjoying it, which was the end game in the end. Of course it was. It's the end game, Adam. Shut up and get on with it. (laughs) Netflix have given us our synopsis, Michael, for the next episode of Podcast Horseman and indeed BoJack Horseman season four, episode two. Oh, I'm worried. Just just, just listen to this title, Michael. The Old Sugarman Place. BoJack goes off the grid and winds up at his grandparents' dilapidated home in Michigan, where he befriends a dragonfly haunted by the past. So for anybody who is listening to this as their first ever episode of podcast Anna D. Bojack Horseman, don't worry, he'll be back. The horse (laughs) is coming back. We can guarantee that he will be here next week. But until then, you're just going to have to sit tight and wait. And if you would like to see or listen to us talk about that horse, well, you can, of course, listen to all the other episodes we've done prior to this. Or if you want to hear more about this season, do come back next week because we will have more to cover then. Until then, I have been Adam Nicholas. I've been Michael Hamlet. And this has been Podcast Horseman. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money.